We cannot live without nature. We are within nature all, all the time. Yeah. That's for another episode. <laughs> 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 Guys, the series yeah. went from three episodes to like ten. Yeah. Sixty-three. <laughs> Welcome to the Greg and Majida <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Roha is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> she left three hours ago. <laughs> Um, we're just recycling her early prompts. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you guys think? No, 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 no. We think this. Tell um, the guy. Tell the guys at the door. We still need the room for another four we hours. We got another hour, bro. Back off. Hi, I'm Rohadad, the host of Cause Kitchen a podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the change makers who use the incredible power of food to create a social, cultural, and environmental impact. In each episode, we will be exploring topics around food sustainability, food origins and justice, and the future forward practices that are revolutionizing our communities and generations to come. So join me as we learn about creating a food future that is built on transparency, equity, and a system that provides food access for all. Recording. Okay. Uh, like she hit the button like it was like a launch, <laughs> a launch button. <laughs> okay. Cool. Glad to finally be doing this. Hello, Greg. Hello, Majid. Hi there, Roa. How are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. How's it going, you guys? Very yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, very well. Glad to finally be doing this after yeah. a lot of back and forth. Yeah. No, but it's still, yeah. still been pretty quick, huh? Like, just from, like, conception to execution, it's still... We're yeah. here. We're, look, these things in the, in the busy city of Dubai, um, you're glad when you do get it to happen, and yeah. we're here now, so... Yeah, we're going to have a blast. Yes. So, I would love for you guys to give an intro about what it is that you guys do, what your background is, and, of course, what is Soma Matter? Cool. Shall I uh, kick us off? Um, so my name is Majid Al-Qasmi. Um, I have a background in policy, uh, agriculture, and I studied veterinary medicine. Oh, wow. So um, uh, it, it, some people call me doctor. In my short career, I've been um, intimately involved with agricultural policy, trade, um, as well as food security in oh. the United Arab Emirates. So um, did work on the food security strategy, um, involved in everything from conservation and biodiversity to actual food trade, animal trade, etc. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm here now with my buddy Greg. Uh, yes. We've started Soma Mater, yeah. um, our our food security and sustainability consultancy. Very fancy, mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> Greg. Can we dive into what your background is? Yeah. Um, so academically, I studied Middle Eastern politics. Yeah. Um, and that was a nice segue into getting into a bit of journalism in Lebanon and really get, kind of getting a feel for for the Levantine politics. <laughs> and, uh, and from there, moved quickly into the defense world um, here in the UAE, uh, working on the public and private sector sides, um, but just working on sort of like long-term strategy, stuff from you know, anything from piracy off the coast of Somalia and trying to find onshore solutions, uh, all the way to really developing these like sort of long-term strategic foresights um, for, for the government here. Yeah, and then moving into a few, a few, <laughs> few industries, but really focusing on, 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 on the strategy side of things. Um, 
moved into working with Dubai government for a bit. Um, and it was really from those defense days, like from, from looking at things from a, from a defense perspective, when yeah. you really have to think about national interests and, 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 and long-term threats to them, um, that, that food security really kind of came into my, into my, my came on my radar. Yeah. And that's when, you know, Majid and I have been friends, um, you know, since I, since I first moved to the UAE mm. and, we started having these conversations and these yeah. conversations around around data and food security and like if we knew about this yeah could we be at a better position like could we be in a better position today if we knew about that like how would that help us in the future and like it, it was just this like this back and forth of like there was a vibe basically yeah, we were yeah, just yeah. like <laughs> there was it, it, it just it was a theme and a con conversation i would say that started a long time ago and has really manifested into this company Right. Um, yeah. uh, and just understanding that there is a perspective that one needs on how food gets to our plates yeah. and not many people have that. And I think people specifically in this region where I feel like yeah. it, it comes from a good place, like, you know, we have great leadership in place, mm -hmm. we have this fantastic infrastructure, yeah. but like we are just as detached from like the source of food. Absolutely. Which is, a, which is right now, as we can see, it's a bit of a curse. It, so I, the way I see it is, we live a very busy lives yeah. and we may have taken for granted that food is always on the table and available. Yeah. Um, I've always been very conscious in growing up in a country that from the outset have very limited sort of natural resources. Um, and I'm half German, so you oh. know, jumping between Germany and here on the regular, um, seeing the difference in you know, how agriculture is done yeah. and how food is produced. Um, and I was just very cognizant of that difference, maybe not being apparent to everybody who goes to the supermarket. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, we always expect the supermarkets to be full. We always expect food <laughs> to be on the table. And, um, you know, there have been a few incidents where, you know, that could be at risk. Um, and really what we're trying to do with Soma Mater is not only help um, governments or private sector companies understand those risks, but can you create strategy that can mitigate that um, and have you better prepared for the future? Right. Um, and it's a very interesting space. Yeah. And so you guys essentially help major companies make their supply chains or their production methods more sustainable. So we'll we'll tackle it from wherever the client really needs right. the attention, right? Yeah, okay. and I think I think one of the biggest things that's happening, uh, at least in in 2020, is a lot of a lot of organizations waking up to realizing that like, hey, food security is a, is is a massive issue um, that the UAE government has has come to really kind of put a real heavy focus on, right? Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that, that we're seeing um, Her Excellency Medium through the food security and water security office. Like she's she's made massive strides uh, in 2020 to, to, to making this push. And I think more and more organizations, whether at public or private sector, uh, whether at the federal level or, or at the Emirate level, uh, are all kind of realizing that, hey, like there are things that we could be doing we want to understand how we can contribute, how we can support a drive towards greater food security, and and you know how how does how does waste come into that? How do yeah. utilities come into that? How yeah. do all of these other things that we don't necessarily immediately see a connection to our food? Yeah. They do have a connection, and and organizations are getting to the point where they're like, cool, how do we help? Okay. So it's uh it's been really really interesting. Yeah.
Yeah. And moving on from that, the topic that we're going to be speaking about today is the impact of the global food system. Mm-hmm. You guys have been in the space for a while. Um, based on your research, like what I'm really interested in knowing is how did we how do we get to this point? Currently, mm-hmm. our food system is, for lack of a better word, it is a wreck, right? Um, it's uh, and I think coronavirus has kind of really put the spotlight on just mm-hmm. how much pressure we've put on the global food system. Yeah. Um, so I want to understand how did our ancestors eat? What were they doing right? Um, and how do we reach this point where we're just kind of like a disconnected completely? And what are our eating habits like that are different from what our yeah. ancestors? So sure. let's let's from the outset understand that this is no small question. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like, super loaded. Tell me about the whole of entirety of civilization, please. In like a minute, please. I'll give you two. Um, As so, a trained anthropologist, yeah, exactly. I feel like I can do it in a minute thirty. Yeah, okay, but that's true. Um, so I th- I think sort of if you want to do the hop skip jump version of this, you know, ancestrally we have people that were either hunter-gatherers uh, or then sort of, you know, fishermen, coastal people. Globally, there was there was an abundance in nature that we were sort of essentially sourcing our food from, from non-agricultural practice. Then, through the, the dawn of agriculture and the, the, the managing of biology, if you will, yeah. I did quotation marks there <laughs> here that nobody saw. This is a podcast. Um, what happened was we understand through ma- managing biology and managing nature, that is, you know, so cultivation and domestication of animals, we're creating higher productivity of those sort of organisms. So whether it's a plant or an animal oh. and with that, you have specialization. So people start to focus on these roles and then that gives other people the opportunity to do other things because food is abundant. Right. You know, previously people would have to go and hunt and gather otherwise you didn't make it through the week. Yeah. But now that the food is there and this cultivation and this rearing of animals means there's more supply, so more energy and so you grow and create other functions. Fast forward to um, the industrial revolution, we now have these practices that have sort of scaled up and through mechanization um, you know, the, the, the advent of energy through oil, coal, and other sort of fossil fuels, you're starting to get more, you know, bang for your buck. Yeah. And yeah. that sort of pushes all the scales up. And suddenly you're using machines to do what, you know, 100 people used to do yeah. in one hour. And you have production of food at a scale that is really leveraging um, those energies to continue to grow in other ways. Now, from the outset, that was great because suddenly we're essentially creating so much productivity. Yeah. But with that, you have this continued specialization of agriculture and mechanization and then the, you know, the chemistry and chemical revolution that came to that and post-World War II, you know, fertilizers. Yeah. So pushing, you're pushing the productivity of plants. You're pushing the productivity of animals because now you have so much feed that is available. And what happens is you're essentially walking into a corridor that is getting narrower and narrower. I mean, you can count on two hands the amount of plants that we grow globally mm. that provide 80 to 90% of our energy. Right. Now, globally, 
the plants that produce something that we can consume are in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah, which are untapped. Not yeah. only untapped, but we've stopped eating them. Right. Because we have plenty of potatoes, rice, wheat, etc. Yeah. What what you have here is this sort of walking into a corridor that's getting narrower and narrower globally. And this is why, um, and, and, and to that effect, you're also sh seeing signs of certain limitations of that. Scale is available and there's plenty of food, but then you have this sort of like pullback on nutritional availability. Yeah. Um, high concentration of things like gluten in wheat or certain varieties that end up showing systemic problems in populations now. Yeah. And that was my two minute. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind that. Yeah, do it. Let's, I'm going to go and then right Greg's back to the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to start from scratch now. No, I, think, I, think, I, think, I think Majid's absolutely spot on. Like mm. agriculture, the, the, the ability to create sedentary lifestyles and, and, and with that, the division of labor yeah. um, is absolutely the core of modern society. Yeah. Like we could not have modern society without agriculture. Um, but that came at a cost, and mm. and and the the initial cost that we saw in in our ancestors twelve thousand years ago was a cost in health, and that is something that could be seen in the records that like the yeah. nutritional health of 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 our ancestors twelve thousand mm. years ago fell off a cliff because they immediately limited their, 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 their diets to those things that they were able to grow. And that was just a handful of crops, but a wheat, this was, you know, this was a grass that, that normally shatters. Like it does what a plant is supposed to do, which is spread its seed and, mm -hmm. and then pass on for the next generations. Mm -hmm. We managed to get this plant to not shatter, to keep its seeds as it dries up, to basically not fulfill its like evolutionary genetic, yeah. genetic yeah. purpose, yeah. right? And we were like, oh, that's amazing. That stays there, which means that we can then eat those and like we can crush them up and make flour and like that becomes a, a great source of sustenance, right? And then they were like, cool, like why should we walk out and try and find all those berries? And we all got right. this, this is fine. Yeah. This is fine, guys. Yeah. So, <laughs> Grows like yeah. throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. so like- Store it, you know, calorific value is high, mm. uh, you know, to be able to use that over long term. Yeah, so so that was it. Like, I mean, like we, you know, you think about like the limitations that we put ourselves in by switching to laptops, right? Like, because we can carry it with us, and it's it's it. We're not we're not we don't have to like be in a place to do it. Like, this is now like the storage of energy is is the name of the game for everything. So that that's the the first bit is that like we really we really have this like cost benefit thing. Like, okay, cool, we can create civilization and society, but like we already started with you know, far lower nutritional health. Um, and that's the price that we paid. Is it worth it? I mean, you look at all of the buildings outside and you can ask yourself, like, <laughs> is it worth it? Like, would, you know, being a, being a hunter gatherer versus being this highly specialized society and like being able to sit around a table and like- And do a podcast. Record a <laughs> podcast. Like none of that could have happened without, without agriculture. Yeah. Um, Thanks agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> then we fast forward and like one of the things that, that, that Madra was talking about is like the acceleration of that during the- during the um, yeah, during the industrial revolution and the ability to use fossil fuels to, to, to fuel that to in, in the production of fertilizers in in the mechanization of of of, uh, of agriculture tractors and tilling and all of these things mm -hmm. that were made so much easier um, 
and then you see this wild increase in in uh, in yield per per square meter globally, yeah. right? And this is this is basically a split in ideas. There's a, there's a split in ideas right around the the the, the you know the the industrial revolution mm. in terms of like hang on like this growth that we're seeing, especially in agriculture and like the way that we're feeding the planet that is growing faster and faster, like there was a split between sort of two camps and there's a really, really good book called The Wizard and the Prophet um, by Charles Mann. Um, And this is about two camps, two ideas, like one that's sort of epitomized by Charles Mann um, by Norman Borlaug, who Mm -hmm. was the father of the Green Revolution. This is the guy who made high yield variety rice, high yield variety wheat, Um, these varieties that were able to like basically feed nations like mm. i mean and and you know, address in, global hunger basically address global, i mean he so on and some people say that you know he saved millions of lives yeah. and others say that he has shattered the the the, the lives of millions of people who <laughs> lost their livelihoods in, in the traditional farming methods yeah, yeah. so norman borlaug is kind of like he's the embodiment of of the techno optimist who believes that humans have the like the capacity to overcome all challenges and that as we continue to grow as you know the global population continues to grow our our our, our sheer willpower hmm. and brains will get us over these problems there's nothing that that humans can't overcome um and then there's the other side of william vaught which is basically the environmentalists who are yeah. like <laughs> we've gone too far like that population growth is exceeding what we can possibly get out yeah. of of the planet, um, and we we know that like there's so much waste uh, in our in our chain, and I'm sure we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so so, and he basically says like we need to slow down. We need to slow down human activity. Uh, we need to go back to understanding like w- how nature did it, yeah. and and move away from from the fertilizers that are depleting our soil and, and all of the insecticides and herbicides that are, that are, you know, creating our, you know, make, making our, our fertile lands devoid of any life. Yeah. Right. So when this was introduced, did, when the green revolution came about, right? Mm-hmm. So like, did we know that like the fertilizers and the pesticides and stuff are going to ruin our soil health? No, no. I mean, when, okay. when you think of, when you think of where, these fertilizer, fertilizers are giving you in a single season a doubling of your productivity. Yeah. That is well outweighing any sort of consequence that may be apparent, right? It, it, you're like, wait, what? We just doubled production this season? For the same Bunker cost? Crop? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there, there's, there's all of this resource that's sitting around. It used to be, you know, old ammunition. Like this, like fertilizer, chemical fertilizer is based mm. on like old ammunition, it's old, it's gunpowder, MPK. Right, okay, yeah, can you speak about that? Because I just found that out recently, that fertilizers originated from, like, it was a byproduct of... Because, I mean, we, you, needed, um, you needed ammonia. Yeah. Right, so, and the guy who invented uh, synthetic ammonia, I mean, that, that immediately went into the production of bombs in, in World War II. And we used that. In our soil. Well, and we use the same stuff, yeah, because yeah, you need... But it, bring, break it down to chemistry, you need nitrogen, potassium, you know, uh, and phosphorus, and, and ammonia. And these are all chemicals that were being mixed up for 
ammunitions, you know, explosives, put in bullets and cannons and what have you. And then, you know, the war ends and there's a lot of it lying around. These are the nutrients that the, the, the plants need. Mm. And what happens is they go, well, if we can deliver this as a shortcut for the plants, the plants will do better. Like, I, I, I know maybe this conversation has all started with vilifying sort of industrial revolution, <laughs> but you have to understand, again, we said it, we have all this today only because yeah. of, right? Yeah. And I think what's happened is there have been, if you think in the very long span of life on the planet, some very short-term gains that we have experienced, but we are only coming to understand the, the consequences of that journey down this corridor that is now starting to get pretty narrow. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the space we're in today, I think the three of us are cognizant of how do we find a better way? How do we find a way that's more in tune with the planet? How do we find a way to undo some of this damage, right? Because we may sound like a bunch of tree huggers here, <laughs> Greg and I, but we're also cognizant that you need to have food on plates. Yeah. And there are production systems today that do that. And it's not about just saying, okay, stop that. Everybody go and start a farm, right? There, there, there is a transition of populations and practices and businesses that needs work. And that's where, where we are. That's the space that we inhabit is helping that transition, helping understand and this context yeah. on how do you go forward with something that's a little bit more in tune, sustainable and cognizant of, you know, our human, our health, the planet's health, the ecosystems. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think I think we're at this point, though, where where, you know, every step that we take not only has to be less damaging, yeah, mm. but also has to be restorative. Yeah, it has to be something that can can sort of at least walk back some of the steps that have yeah. that have kind of either degenerated our soil, uh, altered our climate, like every step that we take has to be in a positive direction, not just a decreasing the negative of, of, of our actions. And I yeah. think that's where, that's where we're all, where we're at. And I think, you know, Magic's point of like this narrowing corridor mm. is like that, that image is, yeah, really accurate, really accurate. So if we are to move forward now, is there is a term that's been pretty hot lately and that's been regenerative agriculture. Mm -hmm. Is that something that is a, a sustainable practice that can feed this growing population of, like, I think we're going to hit like 10 billion in 2050. Mm. Is that a method that we can sustainably, like, incorporate? And what is regenerative agriculture, A? And is it something that can feed a growing population? Yeah, and I, I, it's, it's more than just a practice, right? I think, yeah. I think there's, a lot of, there's a lot of components that go into what is kind of this umbrella term of regenerative agriculture. Um, and, and is it something that we can, we can work towards? I think it's um, you know, going, back to, going back to what, uh, what Majid was saying about like this, this narrowing of, of options in terms of how many crops we grow and, and derive our nutrients from. Um, you know, we have to get to the point where we can start to increase that, those options that are available to us. Um, and, and that is going to be done at a, at a regional or local level. Um, and, and it's something that, that is going to take time to show that, like, you know, when we were talking about in World War II, after World War II, and there's famines around the world, and if someone came to Norman Borlaug and said, hey, like, 
these these high yield wheats are great but the amount of fertilizer that you have to put in and the amount of insecticide and herbicides that you have to use you know it's 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 actually it's depleting the mycorrhizal fungi in the topsoil and he's going to look at you and be like that's cool but i've you know i've just saved a family mm. from losing their five-year-old child to, to, to malnourishment. Yeah. I've just saved, uh, you know, an entire country from from entering civil strife because the people can have bread. Like, so tell me about these fungi yeah. in the in the yeah. in the dirt, and and I think that is the thing is that, is that, is that we've always we've always had a justification and an always, there's always been a an immediate uh, need for. Yeah. The, the advancements in science and, and agriculture that we've made. But right now we're seeing that like the aggregate of those solutions yeah, and those, <laughs> yeah, the net net of those, of those short-term solutions and those quick fixes that technology has given us and has saved lives and has, you know, promoted, promoted uh, uh, health and well-being for, for, for billions of people. Um, where that's all catching up to us now. Mm. And so we're kind of left holding the bag with that and saying, okay, cool. How do we, how do we do this? How do we restore the land so that we don't have to put in all of these inputs? Because putting inputs into the land is not sustainable because A, we're running out of inputs mm. or, you know, the, the way that we derive those inputs is, is damaging the environment, um, is, 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 is altering our climate. Um, and that it is actually eroding the the, the the natural capabilities of the soil that we use, right? So that's the whole idea around about around regenerative agriculture is how do we productively um, restore the planet's ability to provide nourishment? Yeah, could have said is, it better. Yeah, yeah. I think it's dawn on me. I don't even think we actually define regenerative agriculture. <laughs> we just like everybody here knows that. No, I, so so I mean. To catch everybody up on regenerative agriculture, the idea is that you're creating a positive effect in the topsoil, and the way I see it is more in the ecosystem with farming, as opposed to depleting it. Um, that's the sort of macro look at that. And with the way Greg's described uh, described agriculture today, it is that there's a lot of sort of leaching of the soil and mining and taking resources from one place and putting it in another soil and it's not a um it's not in tune with an ecosystem agriculture or industrial agriculture is a very sort of sort of almost like an occam's razor you're refining and thinning out and getting down to a single process very clearly is one species there's one plant there's one mechanism and you pump that full of supplements and then you take out your your uh, your harvest basically sounds pretty oh. crazy the way I described it yeah. but like <laughs> it's, it's like, an industrial practice it's an industrial practice yeah like, it's a, you like know, you know things going into a factory everything has to be uniform yeah right? like you exactly. want the same size bolts you want the same size holes and you so that you can and have this repeat repeatable that. action yeah. over and over as you make um you know a million cars or yeah. or or <laughs> Uh, you know, toys for like, I mean, like these notebooks, like you, yeah. you, you print things over and over and you need repeatability and yeah. you get the same thing in agriculture. And then you get the like, economies of scale from that. Yeah. And yeah, any field, any climate, anywhere around the world, we're going to grow this variety of wheat and you need this many inputs mm -hmm. and that's what's going to happen. Boom, done. Yeah. As well as certain corporations that grow on mass at scales that are, you know, into the horizon and the challenge with that is you're essentially living on a knife's edge 
in certain ways with that kind of practice. Now, where you take a ecosystem, like the rainforest, for example, there are hundreds and thousands of species in a very small space that are all buffering each other. And if there's a certain frog that's susceptible to a virus that you know, happens to get caught, then well, that frog might affect a few of its neighbors, but there are like 20 other types of frogs yeah. that are okay, and they will continue to eat the mosquitoes that manage the bird population, that eat the berries and disperse the seeds. I mean, there's the complexity and the diversity in those ecosystems that's the health. Mm. Whereas agriculture in an industrial scale is very vulnerable yeah. because it's a singular process. And I think what regenerative agriculture to come back is trying to do is to say we need to rebuild those ecosystems in the food. To make it more bringing. resilient. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and to have a self-care of the resource you're, you're, you're using. I mean, there's a really nice saying where grow healthy soil and food is a byproduct. Right? right. So the idea is you care for the soil and the sort of cream that you get off that is the food. That's but if you're just growing food and you have no um, care for what is being done with the soil. So, for instance, if you grow one crop like wheat or potato in one field repeatedly, it will have diminishing returns. Year on year, you will get less from that crop. This is why you get crop rotation. So people will go from... Um, you know, wheat to maybe potatoes, to then legumes like peanuts mm. or, or, or soy, and they will rotate through those. Um, that's a, sim a si singular, simple practice, but there are multiple ways that you can create more complexity, more viability in that. Okay. And when we talk about like how this affects the soil health, mm -hmm. um, organic food is something like, my, my, my question is that we're growing organic produce on the same kind of soil, mm -hmm. right? How do we get more nutritional value mm -hmm. when we're growing on this soil that is almost like devoid of any nutrition? There, there are two, there, you're looking at that in two different ways. Okay. So when you talk about organic agriculture, the idea there is that you're using organic substances and seed. So there's nothing synthetic. There's nothing that has been... Um, better way to say them, a man-made to input it, right? We're not using, you know, spent or, or, or to be used ammunition and, yeah. and chemicals to get a positive effect from the plants. And there's a, globally, there's an understanding of what organic requirements are, right? Um, mm -hmm. And there's also dispute about whether soil and non-soil agriculture is organic or not. Right. But the important thing to understand there is that organic agriculture in its nature is very cognizant of the environment, the, 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 the soil, the chance to recover, and the right. nutrients there to, to turn back. And this is why I, I love this subject, is this, this natural complexity in everything mm -hmm. based in biology. Um, so there, you know, to say that that's wrong and that's right and organic's better than this, uh, it, the challenge is understanding that complexity to continue to have a vibrant food system. Um, yeah, but we're, we're going into the weeds here. No, <laughs> no, no everybody's like staring. Like, like, <laughs> who are these guys? Right, but when we're talking about the nutritional aspects, right? So, like, even if even if you have um, a farm run under organic practices, and you know the land has has, has yeah. never seen synthetic fertilizer or pesticides in, in in the past decade, right? Like super clean, pristine, organic land. Um, it comes down to the seeds, even if they're organically produced seeds. Um, are they 
Are they varieties? Are these seeds varieties that were, you know, selected for, um, for shelf life? Are they, are they varieties that were like that, that, that have, uh, you know, phenotypes that were selected for, for how long they last and how bright the color is and how, like what the size of the fruit is. If we're talking about tomatoes, like all of these, these aspects that we've selected for in, in our industrialized agricultural system that, you know, that, that has a, a deep gap between the farmer and the consumer. Right. And we're talking about, you know, conceptual gaps and also like the, in, in terms of distance, like, I mean, when we're, when we're eating tomatoes that were grown in, in Holland, like they need to be especially robust for the Transport. transportation. For the transportation. Right? So they need to respond well to chilling. They need to not bruise easily. They need to last two weeks before, um, you know, before they reach your, 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 your supermarket shelf. So these are the things that, like, that, that we've selected for over time. When I talk about selecting, like we're talking about selecting, genetically selecting for phenotypes within, yeah. uh, within crops. Good example. When I say banana, mm. what do you think of? Banana. How how big is it? Okay, well the I mean, long one, right? Yeah, using yeah. a banana yeah. for scale. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but like, yeah. and I think all the listeners have that same banana yeah. in mind. That's the Cavendish, right? That is a variety of banana. They're plantains and bananas yeah, in mul multiple varieties. But everybody eats the Cavendish, other than maybe Indian subcontinent who who in know Africa. what real bananas in Africa are like. But the Cavendish was picked for transport. No way. It wasn't picked because everybody liked the taste. Um, and it's picked because... I thought I had that freedom of choice. <laughs> you know, yeah, I <laughs> know. It was picked because it can ripen over transport. They're picked green and they're ripened on their journey so that they land in the market... Right in time. Well, ...ready-ish for consumption. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a number of examples of this where a varietal or a strain or a type of um, produce is picked because it actually solves for one thing, not so much the consumer's choice. Choice. Yeah. Cavendish banana, everybody. So with, with these genetic choices, mm -hmm. right? So, and this is stuff, and, and when, when we're talking about like genetically modifying foods, this is exactly what agriculture is. Agriculture is the genetic modification of food is in order the, to the, the genetic, be able to grow it. Right? Watch, we don't walk, walk into the GMO space. But like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but that's, but, so the reason I make that caveat is there's Mendelian uh, uh, genetics where you can choose yeah. essentially, you can no choose the, gen yeah, sorry, it was the yeah. guy who basically proved that you can choose a attribute through genetic selection. So you can, you can essentially, generation after generation, find a bigger banana until you've got something as long as my forearm, right? But that's over multiple generations. Or you can do GMO, which is genetic modification, and you put a foreign gene code into a banana, and the next generation has monster bananas. Like, <laughs> what, where, how is this podcast going from monster <laughs> bananas? That's going to be great. People have tuned out. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just laughs> Sorry true of us. guys. <laughs> But, but yeah, but I mean, w when you make these selections, right, and, and when we're talking about, you know, blind, pure, like crossbreeding and, and, yeah. and selection of, of, of plants that we like the phenotypes, so like the, the outward expressions of its, of its genetics, we like them, we pick them, we don't know what's, what's happened underneath. We don't really yeah. understand, like, has the, has the nutritional profile of this crop changed? 
because mm-hmm. we selected for it being bigger, redder, uh, lasting longer, yeah. whatever it is, like all of these things that we've selected for, there's always a trade off, a give yeah. and take. Yeah. So, so, you know, we've, we've been reducing nutritional, uh, the nutritional aspects of our food for yeah. 12,000 years. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that has obviously accelerated since, since globalization and, right. and, and, you know, the, the, the heavy industrialization of, of agriculture, that, that sort of selection has, has, has increased tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, so will we get a greater nutritional profile from organic foods? Um, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think again, like, and, and, what you're avoiding is 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 any any of the harsh pesticides like really being certain about not being exposed to harsh pesticides or herbicides but uh, but really it comes down to the varieties that that farmers grow uh, and how closely they kind of resemble um, you know the, the 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 original plants um, so heirloom varieties yeah. for example mm-hmm. ones that haven't been you know selected through industrialized agriculture. Um, they may have uh, a better nutritional profile. Um, and ultimately, I think what, what we see, you know, with our local farm, like our local organic farmers here, is that they're growing such a high variety of crops mm-hmm. because they can. And I think yeah. that the, the more exposure we have to those, those, those varieties of clean, nutrition, clean and nutritious crops, um, the more diverse our diets can become. Yeah. So I think that's the greatest thing is that we can see that, that our organic farmers have greater incentive to grow a higher number of crops because that means that they can, they can actually negotiate with the retailers better than, say, one of these high-tech uh, farms that only grows tomatoes mm-hmm. or only grows lettuce. Because as soon as they come in, like they are, you know, these these monocrop guys are exposed to the volatility in that one crop's yeah. price. Yeah. Whereas one of our organic farmers who has, you know, 15, 20, yeah, of crops. that's diversity of crops, they can come portfolio. in and be like, cool, I know you're going to, you know, I know you're going to buy my, my tomatoes really cheap, but I've got these cucumbers and I've got this kale. Mm. And if you, if you, I know that you need my cucumbers. Mm. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to ask you to buy all of this kale and all of these, uh, all of these onions and I'll give you those, the, you know, I'll give you the cucumbers. So there's, there's, there's an mm. ability to negotiate because you know, there's crops that they know retailers need desperately. They're like, listen, I'm, my shelves are going to be empty of this stuff next week because these guys brought in a bad batch and uh, they were super ugly and we had to reject them. And like, we need cucumbers right now. Yeah. And now our organic farmers have that leverage to be able to be like, cool, like, <laughs> I've got the cucumbers, but uh, I've got a bunch of kale. That you got to take with. That you've got to take with it. <laughs> exactly. So they're, they're, it, it, it just makes, it just makes so much more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, can organic farming be scaled? Can it feed the population? A- absolutely. Okay. The challenge is what we understand is the price point mm. for organic agricultural produce and what we understand as industrial agricultural produce. You know, people in the end are also affected by their earning yeah. and what they can or feel they should spend. Mm-hmm. And food has been one of those things that... Um, you know, certain people, certain parts of society might take for granted. There are people that are very focused on eating healthy, clean, organic. Yeah. And there are some people that have limited choice. Yeah. And so if tomorrow the whole world was to become agric- organic agriculture, yeah, we'd be fine. We'd be just great. 
the challenge is there is another cheaper, more affordable product, you know, not necessarily as nutritious perhaps, or not as readily available, or rather is more readily available. Mm. And hence, you know what? Somebody, you know, says, I, I think I'm going to go with cheaper potatoes this month. Yeah. And, and we're in that space because, you know, we're, we're doing this sort of trade-off and understanding, you know, what's important is it about being full all the time or is it about being, you know, and eating potatoes with every meal, meat with every meal, right? There's this whole conversation around yeah. meat, right? Meatless yeah. Mondays, meat once a week. Yeah. And when you talk about, you know, how we used to eat as ancestors, really good example, and I'll, I'll, I'll say Mike Poland was the inspiration for this, mm -hmm. uh, his little booklet, Food Rules. So to get people up to speed... We are producing a lot more than we're consuming. Oh, yeah. Right? There is a logistical issue that we need to address. Sure. Right? Organic produce, or, I mean, organic farming methods can be scaled and can be used to feed our population. Yeah. Populations do not need to be a undernourished. And on the other end of the spectrum, like, fighting cardiovascular diseases, which is one of the largest causes of like deaths mm -hmm. around the world. So this is where we're at right now. Well, cardiovascular is up there, but there are a lot of other diet-mediated diseases, right? Yeah. That are like populating everywhere. And I, I, I always believe that all the solutions we look for are, again, in a spread or a spectrum of solutions. There's no panacea. Let's be clear. Somebody comes and runs up to you and be like, look, hydroponics, we're growing lettuce. We're going to fix food security. I was like, that's great. That is a really important thing to, to develop, discover, understand. But that is not the be all end all yeah. for food. And it's about becoming more aware of where do all the opportunities lie and where in nature have we ignored the signals or under, you know, misunderstood what's happening. There are so many examples globally of very diverse ecosystems that are actually farms, right? This isn't to say that organic is the solution, mm -hmm. um, but it is a good example. You know, regenerative agriculture is a good way to go to making sure that this spaceship that we're flying on around the sun yeah. can continue to sustain not only human life, but all life and make sure that we understand our role as part of this this larger ecosystem and environment that's basically the, the ethos yeah. of, of how we operate incredible and in the uae um like this is a very import heavy country mm -hmm. right yeah. so how do we and i think obviously after the i mean we're still in the pandemic but mm -hmm. like at the peak of the, the lockdown and stuff, there was a lot more focus on like, okay, food security, mm -hmm. right? What is it, What are the practices that the UAE is currently incorporating to have sustainable agricultural practices and to be more food secure? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, I'm very proud to say that as a country, we've always been very agile in the way that leadership sort of makes a call on yeah. the way things work. And it was very clear that food and medicine would never be an issue here. Um, to that effect, then mm. policy has been developed very quickly in the last year. I mean, Her, Her Excellency Maryam has gone from the Minister of Food Security to the Minister of Food and Water Security because they're very 
very closely tied. Mm -hmm. There's been policy and, and law now around food security about ensuring supply chains. Um, there's been a lot of reinforcement of local agriculture production. Um, across, the, across the board, the country is doing a lot to make sure that things um, take into account the vulnerability of being overleveraged on trade um, mm. for food security. And with that, I'm confident that the UAE is not only going to do well, mm. but is really going to be a beacon to how a country in our situation, i.e. certain natural resource limitations, mm. as well as certain trade you know, necessities, we can build something that's a lot more resilient, a lot more ready for shocks, and also ensure that we can continue to grow even though there may be hiccups down the road, mm. um, whether it's from a supply side, a production side, um, you know, the, the local farming practice, whether it's through hydroponic technology or organic farming, everybody's got an opportunity. Um, and I think that's an important thing. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a perfect, um, it's a perfect testing ground. Yeah. Um, testing ground that, I mean, solutions need to be found mm -hmm. and they need to be found... Uh, you know, the quicker the better. But I think what's particularly interesting is that the UAE is, has now opened up to everything, like my manager was saying, from from diversification of of, uh, of import countries and ensuring that we've got flows. But in the meantime, we're also really doubling down, tripling down on local production. How can we do that better? Um, what are all of the, yeah, the mm. R&D around this, right? So like when we're talking about regenerative agriculture, the sand that we have, how do we regenerate a, 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 uh, an abundance of microbial life in, in this sand, right? So the lessons that we learn from, from building, building positive soil health in the sands that we have and, and making this, this, this soil become something that, that is highly productive, those lessons that we learn are going to be immensely important for the rest of the world because with this onward with this onward march of, of climate change, yeah. more and more countries around the world that are currently temperate and fertile are going to be facing the same exact challenges 50 years, 100 years down the line that we in the UAE are facing today. Mm -hmm. So this is really sort of the birthplace for a blueprint for, yeah. for combating climate change and creating resilience in the, in, in the face of uh, increased, increased temperatures, reduced, mm -hmm. uh, r reduced precipitation. This is going to be the blueprint that people around the world will use for the next three, four generations. This is something that we think, and this is the importance, this is the weight of our endeavors here today. Like the farmers that we have, mm -hmm. like the, the, the leadership that we have, like they are all working towards something that is going to be of immense human importance over the next hundred years. And I think that weight should sit on their shoulders and, and, and we are here to, to help and build that. And so we as consumers need to help from our side as well, need to help and show that like there is an ability to shift our dietary habits there is an ability yeah. to shift from right well like should i be eating you know lamb and and steak from brazil and new zealand uh five days a week i wanted to come to that like it's not all doom and gloom 
right? Like no, we oh, are. No, hold on. Yeah. If, if we were just talking about doom and gloom, like, <laughs> sorry, dear listener, <laughs> there's hope. Okay, so what are the tangible takeaways that we can that we can close on? Like Majid said, that <laughs> we're yeah, all going to eat. Yeah, we, we all need to eat, y'all. For for the listener, right? Yeah. What can we do? There's plenty. One. You listen to the podcast, and if you got this far, you've learned a lot, yeah. I hope. Oh, wow. um, I so people have listened this yeah. far. <laughs> All <laughs> three of you, thanks for hanging on. Um, so th- the idea is one, learning, right? Being curious again about food, looking at food with new perspective and new eyes, right? So when you're in the supermarket, when you're, when you're shopping for your groceries, to be conscious of, oh, how far has this come from, you know, like, is this from the other side of the planet or is this, you know, are you buying tomatoes from here or from Europe? You know, are you buying apples from a closer source? You know, this sort of carbon footprint. Then there's also, are you supporting, you know, your local farmer? Are you going to the markets? Um, Roja is going to put some links hopefully that can can find, right? Um, But everywhere, if you type in organic market, there's got to be an opportunity to to find a local market and we're in season at the moment right the yeah. winter in the uae is when the farmers can harvest and, and farm right um th- then from there is also understand your eating habits right mm. is it meat with every meal you know what are you doing with the cutoff ends of your vegetables i mean you can go and chuck them in the bin or you can create a nice broth or you can compost them or you can feed them to chickens and then you have eggs and there are so many knock-on effects of making one choice that could end up you know very positive and a lot of people are thinking oh, but I'm one person what am I what difference does it make well you know it you know takes a hundred fills to make a durham like so long as we have more people doing it there will be a bigger impact yeah I mean I mean we've seen that with the plastic yeah. element right like with plastic straws with plastic yeah. takeaway cups yeah. with bags um when there was this kind of conversation around it there was a huge marketing campaign globally around it and now carrying plastic is yeah. seen as yeah. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Sheepish, the plastic bottles sheepishly over here. <laughs> looking at the plastic bottles on the table here but the um, idea is i think what this sort of plastic straw sort of signal was it, it wasn't about straws it was about the, the larger conversation around plastic yeah. um, and an, an endeavor to, you know, make better choices every day. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be some work. Yeah. But when they become habits and you can ensure that your kids are being raised in an environment of that kind of consciousness, the knock on effects are dramatic. And I always say ultim- the ultimate solution is education. And I think I think you know this the the, the idea that you, you just said Majid, about like a hundred fills make it takes a hundred fills to make a dirham. Um, once you get over that one step, so I, I for me I think it's it's pick one thing. Like even yeah. if you like if you want to try and compost your vegetables, right? Like the the ends of your vegetables and the potato skins and and uh, whatever bits that you have that you're like, well, it's, you know, I'm not going to eat it, but it's a it's a it's a shame to waste it. See what that does. See what that does. In terms of the compost that you create and the beauty of that, like the smell of that soil, you're just yeah. like, oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> but even more important than that, even more important than that is you see the change within yourself. Pick one thing. Yeah, yeah that's a good You point. stick to it and do it. And you'll see that like 
that that starts making you think about all of the other aspects. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you, you start with the composting and like just saving the bits of your vegetables and seeing the value in that. And then you start looking at your plastic bottles and say, you know what, like if I just get myself a little bottle and like it's, it's, it's one step that you take that opens the door to you thinking more actively about your impact at an individual level. Forget that like, you know, the broader impact that like, if a hundred of you do the composting yeah. thing, then yes, there's that scale, but there's also the scale internally. Yeah. The scale internally of like you becoming more aware and recognizing that like one action leads to another thought and that thought leads to an action, which leads to another thought, yeah. which leads to another action. And like, that's where you become more holistically in tune with the food that you're eating and 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 the world that you live in and you're just gonna you're gonna be a happier person Yo, we need to open up a wellness like a mental wellness center on sustainability it, it, i think it we, is man like it genuinely yeah. i think i think there's a strong impact i mean yeah. like there's 100%. scientifically we yeah. can talk about the 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 impact of your gut microbiota uh on emotional states yeah, right like right. i mean if you're if your gut takes like a weird turn and like half of them die off like you you like you become anxious like yeah. there's that part but yeah, then yeah. there's also like the idea of like you feeling more connected with yeah. the planet that you're a part of you feeling more connected with the food that you're eating yeah. and the people that are growing your food yeah like being able to look over yeah. and like eat these eat these beautiful chilies and these beautiful tomatoes and then like seeing that it's oh it's Yazan al Kodmani from yeah, yeah. Emirates Biofarm and <laughs> yeah, like exactly. he's such a cool guy. I just saw him in the field this morning, yeah. like on his on his Instagram, like feeling connected yeah. to every and then, aspect. And, like that's, and then getting that's, out to the farm, right? Yeah. And there's there's an interesting in part of that food valley sort of concept where back in the day you hunt and gather your own food. Then the division of labor means there's a farmer who's doing that for you and you know that person and that's where you get your food from. And then there's a sort of grocer or a wholesaler and you continue to distance yourself from where the food's coming from, right? Well, it's about trying to close that gap again. You know, go out, do a farm visit if you can go and see one of these farms. Go and speak to the farmers at the farmer's market. Ask them, where is this from? What is this vegetable? Why is it this color? I mean, really, and they will be <laughs> well, all. Well, this button. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, they'll only be all too happy to describe it. There is a beautiful charm in in the connectiveness of yeah. being at a farmer's market. Where do you guys go? Um, this, uh, the one in Business Bay, right? Um, right. Is really my favorite because those are organic farmers that I know, and it's uh, they're local organic farmers, and that's the closest one for me. Um, but we've been up to Just eat Deliveroo every day. <laughs> 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 Deliveroo, if you're listening, you can sponsor and, this. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the podcast. No, there's um, you know wherever you are, I like I like when I travel. I also try to make it to the markets mm -hmm. and to see what you know the the farmers there are doing. Um, what they're bringing, you know, from the nearing farms. And it's just, it's a very human as also very planetary experience. But I like what, what Greg was saying is about connecting to the planet. That's really where you're going to see the changes. When you, when you start behaving like that and connecting, yeah. like we, we separated plastic so long ago now in the house, I, I can't imagine ever throwing recyclables into a single bin. Mm -hmm. um, and then the whole idea of like diverting plant matter and food 
from that bin? I mean, you don't have enough podcast episodes <laughs> for us, y'all. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, oh man, we're just going yeah. all over the place. There, there's so much to do. So to pick one thing, stick with it 30 days and you'll be conscious of everything else and you yeah. pick another thing. That's, that's the takeaway. Yeah. Amazing. And think about the concept of waste. Like it doesn't exist in nature. Why do, why, how did we create the, the concept of waste? Like throw everything in a bag and it just disappears. Yeah. That's, that's a not, human, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a human thing. So think about it. Like if, if nature doesn't have waste, what does it do? Right? Like it creates these cycles and you just have to start recreating those cycles, right? Like we have to just tap back into what those cycles mm -hmm. are in nature and we can start to like repeat those in our actions because ultimately like there is no, we've created this differentiation between us and nature, mm. right? Yeah. Like something yeah, that's yeah, yeah. in like nature, from yeah. which is so far from the truth. I mean, like we've done as much as we can, right? Like through building our cities and concrete and, and, and defining this is humanity and that is nature. Hmm. Like, like they're that. two separate things. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a really cool Insta story of yours, which went on for a very long time. The composting. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would just like for you to just speak a little bit about that because most of the people that are probably listening to this mm -hmm. live in like smaller spaces, like apartments, yeah. right? So composting might seem like... Uh, a huge like what am I supposed to do with yeah, it like, like it, a it's huge effort and so, I, so Greg is shaking his head and like no 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 funny thing is Greg lives in an apartment yeah. and is composting he was the one who was talking about it for so long so Greg, maybe share share the experience yeah. a bit so yeah and I actually it was it was strangely I'll, I, I can I can talk about like my first composting experience was during lockdown and that was because I I got a I got a, a, a box, a veg box from Emirates Biofarm. Mm. And, and I, was, I, I, was, I, was, I was in awe at like the quality of the produce that was coming out of the UAE. I was so intensely proud to like hold this box of like just like delicious smelling vegetables and you could still see the dirt at the bottom of the box. Like it was such a visceral, beautiful experience that you don't get when you're just like shopping for, yeah. you know, these massive uh, you know, Dutch carrots <laughs> in the in the supermarket. So it, it really started with that. Like, I mean, it obviously lockdown, like heavy, heavy days of lockdown. Um, it didn't have a whole lot to do, but like I started thinking about the effort that went into the vegetables that I saw in front of me. Mm. And when I'm preparing, you know, a, a soup or, or, you know, mixing it up with the eggs, like I'm, 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 I'm looking at the waste and I'm thinking like, ah, like there's gotta be something. And I was like, look, like, oh, you know, I imagine has got this composting mm. barrel in the, mm. in his, in his backyard yeah. and all this stuff. And I was like, I have, I have, you know, like a <laughs> one square meter uh, balcony on my one bed apartment. Um, I've got an empty pot plant. And so like, I, I literally just like, kind of like, I had some, some, some dried up soil from like the old plant that was right. in there that had died and I'd like ripped it out. Sorry, and, plant. Sorry, plant, rip. <laughs> and um, so it was just a bit of, a bit of old soil that was like super dry, super lifeless yeah. and just started like literally just throwing my waste, like my vegetable waste in there. And then I was like, oh, like I made some toast, I burnt it. Like 
tossed it in there. I literally fall. I, I think I broke every rule of, of composting. Yeah, no, and I was like, oh, I like you know, like I, I had some dal and, and rice and like didn't finish it, so I tossed it in there. Like literally, just like broke every rule and like. The, the insects that were coming out of there and the maggots that were in there. Like, I was just like, keep it, it was, coming. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like party on little dudes and like just kept throwing fruit in there. And eventually it got to the point where like, I, I just forgot about it. I just like stopped throwing stuff in there and like was just like, like I was like, cool. Like I'm going to start like a little inside box thing and like was just like making my, my visits far less frequent. And the transformation was incredible. Like, I mean, it, I got there and there were like pits of mangoes that were all, like that's all that was left. It was all black soil, like black, beautiful, wow. beautiful smelling soil with like chunks of like mango pit. And that was it. Like everything else had been completely composted and was just this like, it was beautiful smelling yeah. soil. Like it was fantastic. Did you grow something in it? Uh, I've I've just planted uh, I've just planted some more mint. So we'll Ooh. see how the mint does. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then for me, like, and so this is Greg's apartment experience. But I started mine simply because I was tired of throwing what I understood as valuable yeah. nutrient matter into the bin. I have this big garden. I'm claiming, you know, yeah. and I want to enjoy. Meanwhile, the household scraps are just going into the garbage and being taken away by the, you know, the waste management company. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> I paid for that nutrient. Yeah. If I'm not eating it, it's going into the garden. You know, this is multiple uses of something I've paid for. And it's really about extracting value and creating more circular principles. So I was like, hey, I wasn't a pro then. I'm still not a pro now, but I was experimenting. And I think that's what we're trying to get people to do is Absolutely. pick something and tackle it and try it and learn in the process. And that's, that's, how, that's how we work. And yeah. that's how I think everybody can do something. Learn in the doing. Well, on that note, um, we have two more episodes that we've got lined up. Mm -hmm. And the next one is going to speak about <laughs> Greg is just yeah. like with us. <laughs> you want to speak to us again? Yeah. 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 I'm so sorry for you. Um, <laughs> I think the next one we need to like get our act together. <laughs> so the next one's going to speak about the local production in the UAE, mm -hmm. and then the last one, which is my favorite one, which mm -hmm. is on food waste. Yeah. Oh yeah. So woo. Um, we're going to be speaking a lot about like food. Mm -hmm. and yeah. the things that we can do around it. Sure. But thank you so, so much for this. This has been such an insightful conversation. And yeah, we will speak again. Thanks for Any having me. Any closing remarks that you guys want well, to pass I'm, on? I'm just very grateful for, for you to have us on the uh, Look of Disbelief by Roja, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast. Multiple yeah. looks of disbelief. Um, uh, no, I think this is a good... This is an important way to have everybody start, right? Open your mind to this whole world. It's very daunting. Um, and I would just want to reassure everybody that everybody can do something and just keep an open mind and explore and be curious. That's really how it all starts and yeah. how we'll make the difference is be curious, learn and do. And from there, you know, you find your way. It's never perfect on the first go. And yeah, looking forward to the next episodes. Same. Greg? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I think Roja, when when you first got in touch with me, I got so excited um, because I finally saw that that someone was was taking this messaging forward. Yeah. So this is something that you know that that, that we at Soma Mater have yeah. 
or or working within and and really trying to 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 embody like our our vision of like the importance of circularity and the importance of of creating more sustainable food systems uh, in in the UAE in the region in around the world and really seeing that like there's 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 been this challenge of of messaging and, and the yeah. challenge of like getting people to to be more aware and be more involved in the food decisions that are made oftentimes for them so this is this is why I'm so excited about about Cause Kitchen and really grateful for for being a part of it. Thank you, you guys. Honestly, like I cannot thank you enough for the time that you've given. No worries. And this has been a very productive Saturday morning. I'm absolutely. Yeah. Right now, are we gonna go grab some burgers? Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah, you got almost had me there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Bye, Alrighties, we'll Later. see you guys in the next episode. Thanks. Bye. 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 And that's a wrap. That's all from me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. And maybe even drop a five-star rating if you've enjoyed the content. This basically helps other listeners, just like yourself, to discover Cause Kitchen. You can also find us on Instagram on at Cause Kitchen. That's kitchen without an E. And if you'd like to connect with me directly, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Please reach out for any collaborations or feedback or recommendations on who I should speak to next on rohadaud at gmail.com. That's R-O-H-A-D-A-U-D-D at gmail.com. And lastly, you can reach out on our website. That's C-A-U-S-E-K-I-T-C-H-N.com. That's causekitchen.com. I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Bye.